Hello, what is up? And welcome to Off the Books, where we're surfing the uncharted waters of accounting, of finance, and wherever else those waves take us. I'm Drew Dubner. I am your host. I am not an accountant, but I like asking questions of people who are, so finance professionals can do their jobs better. Today, the waves are calm. Things are at peace. They're pretty laconic here. We've got a little fire going here on the beach, and we've all got a frosty Diet Coke in hand. That's right, we're taking this episode down a notch. It's a quiet fireside episode of Off the Books. So quiet, I'm keeping myself largely out of this conversation. Today, we have two esteemed guests, our very own Steve Soder and the inimitable Joe Howell. Steve, would you tell the fine folks at home who you are? Certainly. Thank you, Drew. This is Steve Soder. Happy to be here, accounting enthusiast and Diet Coke aficionado. I am very much looking forward to debiting some insight in this conversation with Joe today. And uh, this is Joe Howell. I am one of the founders of the SEC Professionals Group and the SOX and Internal Controls Professionals Group, and also one of the founders of Workiva. I was a chief financial officer of several public companies and some private ones, and have been involved in my career in starting up five companies in total. You know, given the, um, you know, the breadth of your career, as you mentioned, quite a bit of experience, I'm, I'm wondering, can you just give us some historical perspective on today's environment? You know, I would be happy to. I am uh, having an opportunity to look at the careers of so many financial reporting professionals and accountants today and seeing that, that they're in a period of, of you know, enormous challenge. And as we listen to the news and we read the newspapers, I see one word over and over and over again, and that's unprecedented. And we're hearing that particularly for the coronavirus and the complications that we've had to deal with. But this is a very weird period. But one of the reasons that we formed the SEC Professionals Group was to help professionals learn and gain insight from the experiences of others. And as weird as this period has been, uh, as a society and as a profession, uh, this is not the first time we've experienced the kinds of things we're going through right now. Americans have experienced pandemics, rapid economic collapse, political chaos, and civil unrest before. And in a recent article from The Economist magazine entitled, Will Protests um, in America Bring Progress or Set Back the Cause They Champion? The author begins by saying 100,000 Americans are dead from a virus. A feat of space light demonstrates American ingenuity. In cities across the country, protests sparked by racial injustice are showing an ugly side of America to the world. In November, Americans must choose between a Republican running on a law and order platform and an uninspiring vice president running for the Democrats. The year is 1968. It's And I remember that year very well. And it's interesting to me that we have living among us as many survivors of the 1918 pandemic as we do. That pandemic killed 675,000 Americans. And it killed an estimated 50 million people worldwide. Now, the survivors of the 1918 pandemic 
have also lived long enough to tell us about the Great Depression, a devastating world war, a long period of national unrest during the civil rights and Vietnam War protests. And here's the point. Challenging times create great disruption and uncertainty. But it's, and I think this is the fundamental truth, is that they also create opportunities for survivors. And that's both companies and careers. Well, at least for those willing to identify and act on those opportunities. So Joe, it's interesting you'd bring up opportunities, I think, with so many people focused on doom and gloom and and, and trying to navigate through uh, a variety of different challenges. I, I'm really curious, what specific opportunities are you referring to for both companies and careers? Well, starting with companies, I can tell you for one, Workiva wouldn't be here as a company or a product if it weren't for the Great Recession. And Workiva is not alone. Both Google and Salesforce launched uh, just as the dot-com bus was getting a big head of steam on in the late 1990s. Facebook started in 2004, and that was just before the Great Recession. In fact, a shockingly large number of really great companies started during horrible economic periods of time. For example, General Electric launched in 1892. That was just as the U.S. was heading into a 16-month recession where business activity dropped nearly 40% across the nation. Now, that's compared to what we said is 20% for the Great Recession. Uh, General Motors and IBM launched in 1908 and 1911, respectively, in the middle of a multi-year recession that included double-digit declines in economic activity. Uh, Disney launched in 1929, just as the Great Depression was really getting great. Hewlett-Packard launched in the recession of 1937-1938, and that was one of the worst in the 20th century, and GDP dropped during that recession by 19%. FedEx launched in 1971, right on the tail end of the recession of 1969-1970, and Microsoft launched in 1975, just as the Middle East oil embargo that caused the stock market to crash and kicked off a 16-month recession where GDP took its worst hit in 20 years was, was going. I could go on, but I think you get my point, is that we've seen great companies emerge from awful times. And in fact, dismal times seem to create a myriad of new opportunities to launch companies. But that's also true for careers. And that's part of the things that I'd like to discuss with you today, Steve. Well, I'm 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 a bit blown away by that list of companies that certainly had never occurred to me and find that incredibly interesting. Um so Joe, let's let's unpack this a little bit and explore how challenging times like these really do apply to let's start with careers. Can what, what insights can you give us? Well, I retired very recently and in the couple of months that I have had an opportunity to take a break from work. I've had an opportunity also to take a look back on my career and think about the careers of so many people who I've worked with over the years. And I'd like to share with you three lessons that I think are really important, at least have been for me, that will, I think, help illuminate what is possible with a career in challenging times. And the first lesson is, if you want to be successful yourself, help make somebody else successful. The second lesson is, in order to be successful, it's really important to be in the right place at the right time. 
And nobody is ever going to know the right time in advance. So the best thing anybody can do is find the right place and hang out. And the third lesson is take advantage of your personal unfair advantages. Everybody has them. But of those three lessons that I'm eager to discuss with you, Steve, I think the most important point that I'd like everybody to think about taking away with them, if they only take away one thing, and that is that if you want to be successful, help make somebody else successful. Uh, when I said earlier that Workiva wouldn't be here as a company or a product if it weren't for the Great Recession, I, I meant that. Uh, for those of you who are listening who are too young to remember the Great Recession in vivid detail, it was an absolutely horrible time. I have extremely talented and hardworking friends and family who were out of work for more than a year during that recession. A company struggled, and the pressure was on to cut costs. And on top of those pressures, uh, the financial reporting teams were struggling to implement some of the most profound rule changes in a generation. It was in that whirlwind that we launched Web Filings, and that was the original name of Workiva. And looking in from the outside, it was a perfectly terrible time to launch a company. Uh, but it was also the perfectly best time to launch a, a company whose mission wa was to help make financial reporting teams successful. The three large financial printers, R.R. Donnelly, Bound, a company that Donnelly acquired uh, in 2010, and Merrill, had dominated the financial reporting industry for generations. Uh, to put that longevity into context, Bound sold the actual parchment on which Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. And in the many years that those companies had been in business, they built deep and enduring relationships with chief financial officers, controllers, and general counsel. And I can tell you from personal experience that I went to box seats in a lot of ballparks around the country uh, on tickets that were given to me by the uh, by the financial printers, they knew exactly how to make friends that would uh, that would pay off for them later in maintaining their business. So, Joe, I don't mean to to, to cut you off here. My head's still reeling a little bit. Did I hear you correctly that one of Workiva's initial competitors actually supplied the paper for the Declaration of Independence? Uh, and they that was right. Bound would make sure that you knew that every interaction you had with them. And Bound was the first, when my first IPO, uh, I was in Bound's offices for, for days uh, without leaving. So yes, I can tell you that they, they knew how to take care of their clients. Uh, you know, thinking back in 2008 during the Great Recession, it was completely unimaginable uh, that a startup an underfunded software company using a wacko new technology called cloud computing could ever hope to get one customer uh, who was being served by one of these very long-standing, reputable financial printers who had everything going for them. Uh, yet here we are 12 years later, Workiva has over 3,500 customers in 180 countries, including over 75% of the Fortune 500. Uh, it also has U.S. government agencies and many state and local governments. And of those customers, a uh, stunning 95% stay with Workiva year after year. And in fact, substantially all of Workiva's customer attrition results from bankruptcies and acquisitions. And so the first question is, 
how could something like that happen? How is it possible that a startup company, a software company, could displace what became then two very well-entrenched, very experienced competitors? Well, for one thing, the Great Recession had inflicted just enough pain that controllers and chief financial officers were willing to suspend disbelief just long enough to listen to us when we said that we could help them file their reports faster and cheaper with more control. And that was great. Sure, the pain of the Great Recession caused companies to listen. That was just the first step. Uh, The most important thing afterwards, and the single most important ingredient, I think, and in my view at least, looking back on it, was our singular, unwavering focus on making those customers successful. Getting to that first lesson point is that early adopters reported that they were able to finish their work several days and in some cases weeks earlier than before. And because Workiva is cloud-based, users were also able to collaborate on their documents from anywhere, including their homes, their children's sporting events, and in several instances, hospital rooms. Uh, And for the first time, the users felt that they were the masters of their own destiny uh, by controlling their documents until the instant they filed with the SEC. Joe, this is a stunning story. I think we need to take a quick break for a commercial. We'll be right back in a minute. Today's episode of Off the Books is sponsored by Workiva, a platform committed to doing things better. The legend has it that when James Naismith, a Canadian PE teacher in Springfield, Massachusetts, was asked to create a game for students that could be played indoors with no new equipment, he came up with the idea of basketball by throwing sketches of failed games into a trash basket. I don't know if that last part is true or not, but this part is. When Naismith introduced his sport in 1891, players dribbled a soccer ball and tried to get it into a peach basket. It took 21 years, 21 years for anyone to think of cutting out the bottom of the basket. Until then, the game stopped after every basket and someone had to fetch a ladder and get the ball out. The point is, people can do things inefficiently for a long time, even when the obvious solution is staring them in the face. That solution is Workiva, which takes the obvious step of linking data like numbers and narrative and calculations across documents so you can collaborate in real time. Stop grabbing that ladder after every point and cut the bottom out of your current processes with Workiva today. Workiva, check it out. That's Workiva, W-O-R-K-I-V-A dot com slash podcast. And welcome back. Welcome back here to the beach. So, Steve, you had a a question for Joe. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about um, careers. We've talked about companies. I'm I'm really intrigued, though. We left before the break talking about Workiva's commitment to making customers successful. And And I just want to know, Joe, if you could tell us what was the biggest difference then between Workiva and the legacy solutions that you were competing against? Well, I don't want this to be a commercial for Akiva. That's not the point. The The point is getting back to that first lesson is that if you want to be successful yourself, help make somebody else successful. And I think the single most important ingredient that contributed to Wakiva's ultimate success in building a strong customer base was its unwavering focus on the customer's success. And to double down on helping customers succeed, uh, Workiva also helped to organize, sponsor, and launch the SEC Professionals Group, which is a group that helps 
financial reporting professionals connect with one another and share experiences and help each other grow professionally. And among other things, uh, my colleagues at Workiva and I committed uh, to never use the SEC Professionals Group as a vehicle to promote Workiva. Uh, and just as it was at our very first SEC Pro meeting in December of 2008, this group is, has been focused on one thing, and that's to help our members be more successful in their financial reporting careers. I can tell you in my personal career as a chief financial officer for two public companies and two private companies, and in also in helping to start five separate companies, including Workiva and the two professional organizations, in retrospect, I believe that much of my success is personally from the same thing, which was helping others to succeed. And I can tell you that as I look back in my career, the thing that I am most proud of over time is having helped so many people in their careers become successful and to watch them as their careers bloom. Joe, this is terrific insight. And I, I'm, I love the way that we're weaving together um, these great principles, but also how that has impacted both Workiva's founding and, and, and origins, as well as the success in your career. I'm wondering, can you continue to, to elaborate on those other two lessons and, and maybe continue to share advice um, for how people can succeed in, in an uncertain environment like the one we're in now? I would be happy to. You know, ha having said that, that uh, the thing that is most important is helping others, your colleagues, your peers, your subordinates, your boss, your company succeed. It's really important for your career too, that you're in the right place at the right time. And as I said at, at, the, at the onset is that you, no one is ever going to be able to predict what the right time is. So you got to find the right place and hang out. Uh, what does the right place look like? And what are you going to do while you're hanging out? Well, Everyone is going to have his or her own description of the right place. And for almost all of us, the right place of the right, the idea of a right place is going to change as you gain more experience and as you grow in your career. Uh, for the longest time, my personal right place was a clear path to becoming a chief financial officer of a technology company. And I wanted to participate in an initial public offering. And after accomplishing both of those goals relatively early in my career, my idea of the right place changed, and it changed to actually starting a technology company. And I was extremely lucky to connect with an exceptional group of talented, experienced, like-minded people. And if it hadn't been for those individuals and my ability to connect with them, it would have been impossible to have realized my second vision of a right place of starting another company. And I, all I can say is that sometimes it's better to be lucky than smart. Uh, but like most people, when you're looking for the right place, you're going to find that occasionally you've wandered into the wrong place. And I can tell you that I've wandered into the wrong place more than once in my career. And each time you're in the wrong place, you realize that this is not the place that you're going to be able to grow from. Um, the first question you need to be really settle in your own head is after you figure out how to extract yourself is what's causing this to be the wrong place. Is it really the place or is it me? And if it's me, am I going to be just as happy 
and unhappy rather, if I end up in another place. That level of honesty is really difficult and it's often very painful. And as one billionaire investor observed recently, he said that every successful person I know has had at least one major failure in their career. How one reacts to that failure is much more important than how he or she ever reacts to success. So, Joe, this is resonating with me quite a bit as I think about my own career and different directions that it's turned. I, I am uh, um, really identifying with that honesty needed in order to identify when you're in the wrong place. Um, so really appreciate that insight. Um, but, but if you find yourself in the right place, what then? I mean, what do you do while you're hanging out? Well, in the right place or the wrong place, it's really important to make good use of that time to prepare yourself to be what you need to be in order to take advantage of when the right time comes along. And the best answer that I received ever uh, was to begin to prepare by taking advantage of your personal unfair advantages. Now, every company, and if you're working for a company today, you'll know that your company has at least one unfair advantage over its competition. Uh, in Workiva's case, our first unfair advantage was that we were purpose-built and that was designed specifically for one application and we did it in the cloud. So by having designed our software to meet the specific needs of one community, that's the financial reporting community, we were able to address their needs specifically without a general purpose that was designed for other things that could be used by other people and then also by you for this, but it was designed to meet the needs of those of that specific set of, of users. And because we built that entire application in the cloud, we only needed to have one instance of the software. That made it much easier for us to maintain and to refine and to improve without having to worry about what version the customer is on, what systems they were running on, if they needed to migrate for some technical reasons. None of that was required. So we had a lot of savings compared to other software companies and other competitors in, the, in that space. And we could then take the savings from those unfair advantages and we could reinvest those into the business and we focused on building world-class customer success team, which is really how we managed to build the kind of customer loyalty and retention over the years. Now, what's true for our company is true for individuals as well. Every person, every person I've ever met has his or own own unique set of unfair advantages. Now, that could be money. Maybe you have a ton of it when you're starting out and you don't need to worry about things. Or you could be brilliant. Uh, you could have keen insight into your profession, your uh, business that you're in. You could have educational credentials that take you to a level of being competitive in your, in your personal space. Uh, you could have clear expertise, location, personal status, or it could be any number of other things. Bill Gates, who founded Microsoft with Bill Allen, Paul Allen rather, had several unfair advantages when he started Microsoft. Uh, Bill was exposed to computers much earlier than almost any other child alive at the time, as he was uh, 
given an opportunity to attend a very exclusive private school in the Seattle area. And his parents, being very wealthy, were able to help finance him as he started Microsoft. In fact, his father is one of the richest men in the world because of his initial financing of Microsoft. And of course, we can't forget that Bill Gates was also extremely brilliant and he dropped out of Harvard. I think that he, some of the professors who remembered him had clear recollections of some of the brilliant work he did before he left. Uh, but the funny thing about unfair advantages is that they can come from all different kinds of characteristics and often they can come from very surprising ones. I'm never going to forget uh, something that happened to me personally. Uh, one of the angel investors in one of the first of these five companies that I was involved in uh, made an investment and I had a chance to hear his personal story. And he was sitting on a very impressive personal fortune that he had built using his personal unfair advantages. In his case, his unfair advantages were well, surprising. First unfair advantage he had is he started out, he had no money at all. The second unfair advantage he, he said is that he wasn't particularly smart. And he said he had little or no formal education. And he lived in a rural area that was so rural, it had no regular trash service. And because he had no money, he had to scramble to survive, which made him a little perhaps cunning, I guess. He settled on picking up trash for a living because there was no regular trash service. And he insisted that he chose trash collect and tr trash collection because he didn't believe he was smart enough to do much else. And over the years, he managed to build a significant trash hauling business. In fact, it was so significant that he ultimately sold it for millions of dollars. In short, he transformed what most of us would be considered to be terrible personal disadvantages into unique, in his case, unfair advantages in starting his business. So the key here, I think, is that challenging times create disruption and they create uncertainty, but they also create opportunities. They create opportunities for companies. And as we can see, so many companies were founded during periods of great financial distress. And I know personally that many great careers have been launched in similar kinds of periods with great financial distress. And even people who were laid off in looking back at in their careers said that that may have been the luckiest thing that ever happened to them because they had an opportunity to, to do something else at which they were very successful that they might never have ever imagined if they had been continuing in their old role. But I think it's also fair to say that those things are true if and only if the person who is presented with those challenges views them as an opportunity and is willing to identify and act on that opportunity. Joe, this has been great. I really, really have enjoyed getting your insight um, on so many different things. Uh, as we get ready to wrap up, any final thoughts for our listeners? I will tell you that looking back on my career and the career of others, and Steve, thinking about your career too, uh, in your role, and and uh, and Drew, my hope is that that 
everyone listening to this takes to heart the point that if you really want to be successful, one of the things that you can do to help propel your personal success is help others, your boss, your colleagues, your friends, your company, be successful. And it's important to seek out the right place and hang out. Of course, first you have to figure out what is the right place. What is it that you really like? What would that place look like? Are you in the right place right now? And if you're in the wrong place, are you in the wrong place because of you? Or is it truly just the place? If if it's because of you, if you change places, are you going to be just as unhappy? That kind of personal insight is very painful sometimes. And sometimes you're going to find out it is you. And the thing that you best you can do is to help find ways to to grow personally, to take advantage of opportunities that might be available to you. And it's really important as you're thinking about what opportunities and what kinds of things you can use to grow, that you identify the things that are your personal unfair advantages that you could take advantage of to help build your career. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that you're often going to find the most challenging times and and are going to lead to some of the most unexpected opportunities and sometimes in the most unexpected places. Absolutely. Thank you for the words of wisdom, Joe. And that brings us to our closing question of the day. Every episode we close on a, on a lighthearted note, on a fun note. And today's question is, what's on your reading list for this summer? I shared with uh, someone recently about um, that very question. And I've started to reread a book that was published in the late 1960s called The Peter Principle. I don't know if you're familiar with The Peter Principle, but I encourage everybody to read it. First of all, I, I chose to reread The Peter Principle, Lawrence Peter, Lawrence J. Peter, I should say, the author. I wrote this book, and it is one of the funniest books I've ever read in my life. And his premise is simple, is the reason that things go wrong is that the people in charge of running those things uh, all got promoted to their level of incompetence. And so incompetent people are running the world. Of course, he gives some prescriptions as to how to address that. But the thing that's, that's helpful to me in reading that book is it, it takes my mind off some of the bad news that we seem to be getting with firehose <laughs> level of, of force these days and, and relentless amounts of it. But it's, it's also... It's also thought-provoking in so many really um, interesting ways. So it, it creates an opportunity for you to, to rethink your own level of competence and what things that you're doing for your career as it gives you a chance to take a break from some of the more oppressive news. I love it. i got to make a note of that one. It's the Peter Principle, Why Things Always Go Wrong. How about you, Steve? Well, for my part, I am looking at I Am Big Bird, the Carol Spinney story. I do prefer hardback, although not in parchment. Just normal paper for me. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Good Muppety answer. So thank you very much. This has been Off the Books. I'm Drew Dubner. Please subscribe, leave a review, tell your buddies if you like the show. Surf's up, and we'll see you on the next wave. Bye.